0: Hey, good morning morning. Thank you so much for joining in. I'm brother Matthew and this is Christian coffee time Where we sit down together to study the Word of God and today we're going to be continuing on our study of the Gospel of John And we are up to chapter 18 where we start seeing how the Work the full work of Jesus Christ is coming to a head here. We're seeing that uh, as of chapter 17, we see the prayer of Christ in his intercession, his, his mediate for his disciples and in, in, uh, blessing them and praying for them in that blessing them for strength and ability to continue on. Because what's going to be coming is going to be so horrendous, is going to be so trying as we're going to be talking about the very details of it as we go along. But in John chapter 18, we see the beginning of the of the betrayal with Judas Iscariot. And we see the arrest and then the trial of Christ. Now, I've done actually an in-depth study on this previously, um, where last uh, Easter I did a series of, of a multi-part series about the trial of Christ, the crucifixion of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ, going into great detail about these things. Uh, we'll be kind of somewhat skimming along the top, but if you want to see more in-depth detail about those things, please check out the previous uh, videos I did from last, not from last spring. Um, It's a, the three-part series of this, and I also did a four-part of the, of the, Crucifixion, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to the four gospels, where I tie it all together across the four gospels, referencing all four and building up the whole story. So please check that out as well. But in this one, we're just going to do a simple, just walk through a simple exposition. So I hope this is a blessing and encouragement and a help to you. And as well, happy Reformation Day happy reformation day where back in the 1500s martin luther on this day nailed his 95 theses on the door and and, uh, challenging the roman catholic church and where he called out all the heresies and the errors of roman catholicism challenging them according to the true born-again christian gospel where Martin Luther previously had realized his error according to to Catholicism and saw the truth by reading the truth. And he left Roman Catholicism, recanted Catholicism, got away from it and spoke against it and revealed the truth. So happy Reformation Day. And I got a new sign I'm going to be putting on my door tonight. I don't know if you can see that. Well, there we go. I'm a Christian. I do not celebrate Halloween, so I got—I even had that made up and laminated. I'm going to be hanging it on my door uh, as soon as we're done this broadcast. So uh, we celebrate Reformation Day as uh, fighting against Roman Catholicism, the Roman Catholic cult, as it never was Christian. Catholicism never was Christian, and uh, Constantine was a was a Roman pagan. He was not a christian and those that joined with him when constantine tried to create his own cult they weren't christians they were roman pagans who joined in and a bunch of other pagans joined in and they plagiarized off of true born again christianity tried to create their own cult and that's what we now have today is the roman catholic catholic means universal so the universal church of the roman empire which has always been pagan All the way back to its its origin, the Council of Trent, the Council of Nicaea, were paganistic Roman Catholic cult councils, not Christian. And Martin Luther called it all out. Martin Luther fought against it, so Martin Luther is a hero for today. So anyways, now as Martin Luther would want us to do is preach the gospel according to the gospel of Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, by belief alone by grace through faith by belief alone and that Jesus Christ is our only only mediator he saves us by grace and it's not by works it's not by righteous works it's not by works of the law it is not by self atonement there is no purgatory you don't need you don't need sacraments and indulgences you don't need the pope you don't need mary you don't need any of that other nonsense all we need is Jesus Christ by believing faith by grace through faith by belief alone So praise be the Lord. All right. So we're going to be taking a look. We're going to be taking a look at the beginning of this, of the trial of Jesus Christ in the Gospel of John, Chapter 18. The Gospel of John, Chapter 18. So if you have a second, please go grab your Bibles and grab a notepad and pen and come sit down and join us in this. Take your Bible. Turn with us to John, Chapter 18 and importantly as well make sure to grab your tea grab your coffee as this is christian coffee time so you got to have your coffee But it's okay we'll forgive you tea drinkers don't you worry about it we won't judge all right so gospel of john chapter 18 And we're going to be going just verse by verse just point by point word by word and just taking a look through this to see Okay, what is it talking about? How can we pair it across scripture rightly dividing the word of truth and how can we apply it to ourselves? So that we can go and better understand and go live it speak it think it do it so to live scripture to study scripture apply scripture memorize scripture because it's by scripture alone as we understand what God wants All right, so Gospel of John, chapter 18 and verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, what words? Well, previously in John chapter 17. So you see that it's a continuation. It's a continuation. As uh, all scripture, as we see by the different books here, these are letters these would be a whole scroll and that in the original letters and scrolls there weren't the chapter verse divisions so the chapter verse division numbers were added long time afterwards that to help with the just to know how to find things easier how to organize it up and then to be able to study it memorize it find parts in scripture easier that that's all it is but the chapter verse division numbers are not inspired of god as the words the context is the chapter verse division numbers are not so we see here actually in verse 18 that's sorry chapter 18 verse 1 that this is a breakup of the continuation of the narrative flow as you see so when jesus has spoken these words so it's a continuation off of chapter 17. so when jesus had spoken these words he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples the garden of gethsemane now as we see by the other gospels as well this is a place that he loved to go that he would often visit that We see an interesting aspect into the mind of christ here is that that there are some things that he favors for some reason just because jesus just really loved the garden of gethsemane over other places why i don't know just he does as some as some people we all have our favorites of things and sometimes it's just we don't we don't even really know why we just we just do it is just the way we are Is that shows a humanistic quality to jesus as well he's 100% man 100% god he's god almighty manifest in the flesh but we see another aspect here where god has favorite places he has favorite things he 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 loved mount sinai that was his his high place he loved jerusalem his his holy city he really loved the garden of gethsemane Yes, God loves all things, but we do see that God can favor one place over something else. But when it comes to people, when it comes to people, God does not elevate one Christian over another. He loves his children. He loves his children equally. But when it comes to the human race in general, we do see he loves his children over We see the wrath of God upon the unbelievers. But he still loves them in that he wants them to be saved. So he atoned for them so that they could be saved. But if they don't get saved, his wrath will be upon them. So you do see here the the aspects of what God likes, what God dislikes. And you can get to know his character by studying the word of God. Now, sorry, someone was asking, what was my... Oh, you're asking? Oh, okay. Her picture on her icon. I thought you were talking about my thing here. About uh, I, I'm going to be hanging on my door. I'm a Christian. I do not celebrate Halloween. We celebrate Reformation Day, not Halloween. as Halloween is evil. Okay, let's continue on. So, verse one. So, into the which he entered, and his disciples. So he brought all his disciples with him. Verse two. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples, so Judas was not with them. Where where did Judas go? Well, if you back up to uh, back up a couple chapters, you see at the Last Supper, we see Judas Iscariot sitting with Jesus at the Last Supper. Jesus says one of you will betray me then he says it is whoever I give the the sop to so he takes a piece of bread Dips it in the sauce and hands it to Judas Iscariot who after he eats it Satan enters him and he gets up leaves to go and tell the Sanhedrin about Jesus to go betray him Betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver so Judas knew where Jesus was going it's quite interesting when you really break it down there's many different applications and rapid trails you could take off this how so many people could know what what Jesus is about know who Jesus is know what Jesus teaches know where Jesus is going with certain things and they'll still oppose it's like for example how modern liberal personal interpretation Christians that when you're quoting scripture and you're using the word of god they know where you're going with your recitation of scripture and they try to cut it off and they try to to dismiss it yeah yeah i know where you're going with that but, but you're being too strict i know but i think i feel i believe that's the spirit of judas that's that judas spirit where they try to ignore god they try to change the truth of god into a lie to satiate their own conscience they try to fashion god after more of their own ideologies the judas spirit and people who betray the word of god who betray the righteousness of god who say they love the lord god jesus christ but celebrate satanic festivals and and they throw up all kinds of disgusting reprehensible entertainment on, on their tv and everything the judases who know where jesus is going and where and where we are supposed to go judas was supposed to be with jesus and his disciples this uh, that we are supposed to be walking the path of righteousness dwelling in the places where the lord loves to dwell but judas was not and judas also which betrayed him knew the place for Jesus oft times resorted thither and his disciples. Here's the other thing. Is it possible that Judas Iscariot had been in the Garden of Gethsemane with Jesus and his disciples before? Yeah. So Judas has been there. He's seen that. He's done that. He's experienced that that meeting he's experienced that place with jesus he knows what it's like he knows what jesus teaches he knows what jesus upholds what he instructs and dictates you see judas has been there many people have been with jesus heard him speak know what his righteousness is is about hebrews 6 4 to 6 that they've been enlightened They've seen it, they've had a taste of it. The Holy Spirit has worked upon them, has brought them to the enlightenment and the conviction, but they rejected it, but they rejected it. Judas has been there, he saw it, he heard it, and he rejected it. Judas knew. Next we see something else. Judas now, because he got angry at Jesus, now, a lot of people wonder, why did Ju- why did Judas betray him? Well, when you get into the inner workings of the heart and the attitude, the first thing you got to understand is Judas Iscariot was not saved. Judas Iscariot never got saved. He was never saved. As we see by Jesus even saying, it's better for him had he never been born, calling him the son of perdition, which means the son of condemnation. Judas was a thief, unrepentant. And then we also see Satan entered him and and born again Christians, those who are actually saved, cannot be demonically possessed. They can be oppressed. So all of these charges are brought up against Judas, proving that he was not saved. He was a false convert, a fake Christian, a fake fraudulent disciple. He was a traitor. There was a traitor in the midst and it was Judas and he was not saved. He was a goat amongst the sheep. He was a wolf in sheep's clothing. So we see by this that fraudulent Christians, faux Christians, false converts, false disciples can go to church, can sit in the pews, can hear hear about the righteousness of Christ, can go to those holy places where Christ loves to dwell, can see it, hear it, experience it, and reject it, hate it, and they can hate it. And the next thing we also see is they then get mad because God is against those things which they want to have. And that they get mad at God, they blame God. They say God's too strict, God's being mean, God's being, you know, too uh, too too legalistic, too hard. God isn't. Is that these people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. They love darkness rather than light. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers from the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons. Okay, yeah, you, know, you know, I've often thought about this verse, verse three. Judas is scary. We also see the Sanhedrin, all all Israel. Let's just say all Israel. Okay, Jesus has gone all over the place. He's healed and spoken to hundreds of thousands of people entire towns and cities would empty multiple towns and cities would empty themselves and all the people in a mass horde would come and sit down and see jesus to be taught of him to be fed of him to be healed of him hundreds of thousands of people knew who jesus was jesus would go to the temple he would go to the synagogues the religious knew who jesus was and what he was about judas knew who jesus was and what he was about and it lived with him and traveled with him for the past three years day and night now with all of that in mind you would kind of get to know the character of jesus You would kind of get to know what he's like and what he's not like, what he would do and what he would not do, and that Jesus didn't have a single, you know, aggressive, violent bit about him at all. Jesus was a teacher of peace, a promoter of peace. There's no violence in him. He doesn't preach anarchy. He doesn't preach war He doesn't you know spread the word by the sword and Jesus doesn't get into fights and you know and hit people He's not violent. He's not stirring up military. Why are they coming at Jesus with weapons? Why are the Pharisees and priests and the soldiers and all them coming at Jesus with weapons I've never really understood that until I started thinking about the delusion of the enemy and how when you have not the Spirit of God in you, how you can be twisted up. Your logic, your reasoning, your insight, your discernment, your judgment, your wisdom, your knowledge, everything can be just completely, utterly twisted upside down. And you start seeing God as the enemy. You start seeing the born-again Christians as the enemy. They will hate you because of me. You'll be persecuted for my name's sake. In this world, you shall suffer tribulation. Now, do Christians, do true born-again Christians go to Crusades? No, the Crusades were Roman Catholic, not Christian. I'm gonna say that again for the record the Crusades were Roman Catholic not born-again Christian true born-again Christians did not attend the Crusades that goes against the very word of God it goes against the New Testament it goes against the very gospel of Jesus Christ we don't spread the word by the sword that's the other religion of peace that the born again christians turn the other cheek love your enemy pray for pray for those that hate you and that we bless those that curse you we do not bring violence we bring peace as in we are to be peacemakers as the word of god says the roman catholic cult uh, did the Crusades? The Roman Catholic cult brought the the Inquisition and torture and violence. The Roman Catholic cult burned people at the stake. The Roman Catholic cult burned the Bibles. The Roman Catholic cult spreads violence, not peace. The born again Christians walk in Christ likeness. The Roman Catholic cult walks in Satan likeness. So Jesus preached peace and love and harmony and joy and gladness and grace and mercy. Jesus never stoned anybody to death. It was the Pharisees who wanted to stone the woman caught in adultery. Mary forgave her. They believe in Mary Magdalene, but it wasn't Mary Magdalene. The Bible doesn't say it was Mary Magdalene. There's just a tidbit there because a lot of people think. But Jesus forgave this woman. The Bible doesn't say it was Mary. Jesus forgave this woman and let her go. Forgave her of her sins and let her go. Mary Magdalene uh, who was possessed of seven devils, Jesus cast the devils out, forgave her and she became a follower. Jesus would forgive the sinners. He would sit with the publicans and sinners. He would forgive their sins. He didn't he didn't condemn them on the spot. He wasn't mean and, and malicious. He didn't tie people up in religiosity. He taught grace, He taught mercy. He taught peace. He taught love, gentleness and they're coming at jesus with lanterns and torches and weapons it's it's so odd how people can get so twisted up like that people can get so mad at god and blame god for things or if you read the word of god you see such grace verse four jesus therefore what okay it's going to show who actually has their bibles open okay according to verse four in verse four it says jesus therefore okay what are the next three words can someone tell me in verse four jesus therefore what are the next three words tell me what are the next three words Because knowing all things, hmm, I wonder who Jesus could be. Do angels know all things? No. Do prophets know all things? Do holy men know all things? No. Who is the only one who knows all things? God so you see right there in verse 4 that's a proof of the divinity of Jesus Christ Michael the Archangel doesn't know all things Muhammad doesn't know all things Buddha doesn't know all things the Hindu gods don't know all things the Norse gods don't know all things There's only one God. There's only one way, one truth, one life. There's only one who knows all things, one who sees all things, one who hears all things, one who is everywhere present in all things, one one who by him all things consist, meaning he actually holds all things together. Jesus, therefore, knowing all things... If you go back to john chapter 1 verses 1 to 3 the word which is god made all things and verse 14 became flesh and dwelt among us jesus therefore knowing all things if you're into highlighting marking or underlining in your bible marking your bible um, if you're into that could you underline highlight knowing all things and when you go through the gospel of john every single time or anywhere in the bible for that matter anytime you're going through your bible any mention of divine attributes characteristics workings or words anything referring to jesus underline it highlight it put a star by it mark it whatever that so that you have that every time you're going through so you could show people these things knowing all things that should come upon him so that means he knows the future that means jesus knows the future as we also see this is john chapter 18 john chapter 18 we're in verse 4 as you see all throughout jesus uh, at the beginning it says he he saw him under he saw his one disciple under the fig tree when jesus is in the other city how did jesus see someone who is in another city sitting under a fig tree jesus knew what was in their hearts jesus heard their thoughts jesus accepted worship forgave sins claimed the names of god knowing all things It always makes me laugh and shake my head. Every single time I hear someone say, nowhere in the Bible does it say Jesus is God. Well, you're not reading very well. You're not really paying attention to what you're reading then. The, The average normal person who reads through this is incapable of coming away from this believing anything other than Jesus is God. So, yeah, verse 4 Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek ye? So, you see, the protector, the shepherd of the sheep. We see his disciples are all there. Jesus is standing with them. Along comes Judas and all these soldiers with lanterns and torches and weapons. Oh, my. And they're coming up on Jesus, and the shepherd goes out and blocks the way. The shepherd. Stands in front of the sheep and puts himself in the way of the wolves. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd in John chapter 10. Where if you go back to Psalm 23, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. Now the one thing about that, it says, Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D all uppercase l o r d when you see the word lord all uppercase l o r d that in the greek and hebrew is a is another way of writing or referencing jehovah god the lord above all lords jehovah god so it says in psalm 23 almighty god lord god jehovah god is my shepherd i shall not want jesus says I am the good shepherd. As you see by Psalm 22, 23, 24, all these are prophetic psalms about the Christ Messiah. And Jesus in John 10 says, I am the good shepherd, meaning he is the shepherd of Psalm 23. The shepherd goes in front of the sheep, blocks the ways of the wolves. Judas and these other wolves are coming along and Jesus stands in front of them and says, what are you looking for? Whom seek ye? now this is interesting if you go back to the very beginning of the ministry of jesus when he first comes on the scene here and he's gathering up his disciples uh, uh some of his some of these ones who have become his disciples that they, they come running after him and jesus turns and says whom seek ye what are you looking for what seekest thou that's interesting that Jesus would use the exact same words that he used at the beginning of his ministry when he was calling his disciples that's because you see Jesus in John chapter 3 did not come to condemn the world but that the world through him might be saved is that he's giving these individuals even a chance even though they're coming down upon him to arrest him and torture him and everything he still so loves them that jesus went to the cross for these men who want to arrest him jesus atoned for their sins too he loves them too that he he would desire that they would repent and believe the gospel and come and follow him as well. Jesus even says the same words to his to his arresters as he said to his disciples. Who are you looking for? What are you looking for? What seek ye? Whom seek ye? <clears throat> they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Now, it's different how they responded to the way the disciples responded. When Jesus said to his disciples at the beginning, when he was calling his disciples, he says, whom seek ye? And they said, they said, good master, where do you, where do you dwell? We want to be with you. We want to come with you. So we see actual, a response of respect from his disciples when he called them and they came to him. They showed respect. Jesus says, whom seek ye? And they showed respect. Jesus says to these guys, whom seek ye? They show disrespect they say Jesus of Nazareth they don't even call him good they don't even call him master they don't even call him rabbi they don't show Jesus any respect whatsoever which is interesting because Jesus has done utterly nothing worthy of disrespect he has only healed Raise the dead, open the eyes of the blind, open the ears of the deaf, open uh, open the mouth of the mute. Raise, raised up the lame, healed the lepers. He turned water to wine. He fed the thousands. He, he's done only good. He's done only good in healing, casting out devils, and teaching righteousness and peace and mercy and grace. He's done nothing worthy of disrespect. And as you see in scriptures, it sa- says that, it says they will accuse you falsely. For my name's sake, they will accuse you falsely. They curse me without a cause, as David the Psalmist says. They hate me without a cause. But look what Jesus does here. Does Jesus immediately smite them because they show disrespect? Well, no, as Jesus says, all sins shall be forgiven them to the sons of men. All sins whatsoever they sin, and all blasphemies wherewithsoever they shall blaspheme shall be forgiven them. So he's even willing to forgive their disrespect here. And we see Jesus does one more thing. Jesus says, whom seek ye? They say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus saith unto them, I am. Now, if you have a greek hebrew interlinear bible and you can even find it you go online you can look at it for free and type in greek interlinear bible and you you look at the greek manuscripts of the original manuscripts of of the new testament in greek john chapter 18 verse 5. it's identical the exact same identical wording to John chapter 8 verse 24 where Jesus says unless you believe that I am you'll die in your sins now you'll notice in your Bible okay if you have your Bibles open in your Bible is where Jesus says in verse 5 I am is the word he he is the word he italicized it should be is the word he italicized <clears throat> Because in the original Koine Greek manuscripts of the New Testament of the Gospel of John, in John 8:24 and John 18, verse 5, the word he in the original Greek manuscripts isn't there. Now, the the reason why it's in here is because in a direct immediate translation from Greek or Hebrew to English, it'll leave with a bit of broken. Uh, broken narrative it, because it doesn't translate directly to English. So what the translators did is every once in a while they would slot in a word to help with the narrative flow, but the words that they added they italicized so that you know which words are added. So if you actually go to the Koiné Greek of John eighteen five and John eight twenty four, you'll see it says I am He. The word He is not actually supposed to be there, so ignore the word. He why? Because in the Koine Greek, I am, in the Greek is ego-emi, which means the always existing one, almighty God this is the i am name of almighty god the same i am name that god spoke out of the burning bush to moses jesus says if you do not believe that i am you'll die in your sins and the pharisees picked up stones to stone him for blasphemy because he says before abraham was i am he called himself at the i am five times in john 8. and we see it again here jesus calls himself the i am the always existing one now what happens then they answered him jesus of nazareth and jesus saith unto them i am and judas also which betrayed him stood with them and as soon as he said unto them i am they went backwards and fell on the ground all right i don't know about you but if i was standing there and i come with this group And there's this guy and Judas and the the rulers are talking to him and and he he says, who are you looking for? And the leaders say, we're looking for Jesus of Nazareth. And this guy says, I am. And everyone just falls backwards. As a mass group, everyone just falls backwards. I don't know about you, but I think I'd start running i'm not gonna arrest this guy who's been saying that he's god saying that he's the christ saying that he's the messiah raising the dead healing the sick casting out devils and all the miracles he's doing preaching the word of god refuting the pharisees claiming the names of god forgiving sins accepting worship and now he says the name of god the i am and everyone just falls backwards to the ground i kind of think that maybe He might be who he says he is i don't know about you so as soon as he said unto them i am they went backwards and fell to the ground the whole group then he asked them again whom seek ye and they said jesus of nazareth it's interesting how delusion can be so strong that the answer you're looking for could be staring you so hard in the face and you just don't see it okay it shows that they're not putting the pieces together they are not studying the whole narrative they're not studying all the scriptures they're not listening to all his words they're not seeing all of his actions they aren't putting the pieces together they aren't even thinking about what just happened how did the entire army that come to arrest jesus fall backwards to the ground and they don't even realize that anything happened delusion can be strong sometimes people in cults don't realize that they're in a cult jesus says again whom seek ye and they said jesus of nazareth jesus answered i have told you that i am if therefore ye seek me let these go their way now jesus realizes and knows all things and he he knows what's what's happening here he knows that this is the enacting of the great trial to the beginning of the crucifixion burial resurrection he knows all things what's going to happen he knows that he's not going to be trying to get them to leave him alone He's going to allow them to arrest him because this is what he came to do. But Jesus, knowing all things, knowing all things, look what he says here. You've come from me. Leave these alone. Leave my sheep alone. Leave my disciples alone. Verse 9 that the saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them. Which thou gavest me, have I lost none. Jesus is not going to allow any of his disciples to be arrested. None of them are going to be put to death and arrested or charged or tried or any of that kind of thing. The saying might be fulfilled which he spake of them, which thou gavest me, I have I lost none. Verse 10. Then impulsive Peter. Impulsive Peter. Peter is kind of an interesting character. It's pretty much the, the one thing I kind of would might disagree. This is just my opinion, which is worth nothing. My opinion regarding the, the new series, The Chosen, which is fantastic, by the way. Highly recommend you watch it, The Chosen. The, the way they portray Peter. Now, the thing is, though, if you take a look at Scripture, across Scripture, uh, you actually are left with the impression that Peter was a big man. Well, how do you know that? Well, for one, he he's very very impulsive, he's very bullheaded. Doesn't necessarily mean he's big, but you see later on as Peter all by himself hauls in an entire net full of fish. He hauls the whole thing in by himself up onto land. You got to be a really big strong guy to be able to do that that's just my opinion but we also see that that peter is very slow running because john outruns him to the tomb but then when peter gets to the tomb he just bowls his way right on in without even thinking and even here is peter impulsive peter having a sword drew it and smote the high priest high priest servant's ear cut his ear off So we see there's some things to put together that kind of gives more of an impression that Peter was a big guy, but that's neither here nor there, and the Bible doesn't necessarily say whether he was a big or small guy. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Okay, now let's put all this together. We see this this whole group of soldiers and priests and all these stuff and uh, being led by Judas is scary. To the Garden of Gethsemane, they got lanterns and torches and weapons. We see Jesus and his disciples. We see they, this group comes up and they're talking to Jesus, and Jesus calls himself the I Am. They all fall over backwards and they get back up again, and they come back come at him again. And say, Jesus, who are you looking for? We're looking for Jesus. And then Peter just lunges at. Them. Peter just lunges at him. Now, Peter didn't ask, really. Peter just did his own thing. He didn't listen. Now, to get a better picture of this, let's actually take a look at at a couple of the other Gospels. Let's go take a look at Luke. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, verse 49. Luke 22, 49. When they which were about him saw what would follow, they said unto him, Lord, shall we smite with the sword? Do you want us to fight? What do you want us to do? What's happening? So we see all the disciples are starting to get scared. And they want to know, okay, what should we do about this? We've never had oppression like this. We've never had persecution like this. Should we fight? Did Jesus ever tell us to fight? They say, should we smite with the sword in verse 50? And one of them, Peter smote the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. And Jesus answered and said, suffer ye thus far. And he touched his ear and healed him. All right. Now we got something else to add to this whole picture here. Not only does Jesus claim to be the I am and they all fall over backwards. But we see Peter, impulsive Peter, pulls out his sword, lunges at the servant of the high priest, and chops off his right ear. I don't know about you, but I think that that would really hurt. And there'd be screaming, there'd be blood, there'd be chaos, everyone is freaking out. Peter is now in blood rage mode and ready to fight, and Jesus tells him to stop, put up his sword. And then Jesus walks over picks up the severed ear okay the guy's ear has been cut off jesus reaches over and puts it back on his head and heals him this is all so unnatural where you you Claim the name of God and everyone falls over backwards and you can just reattach body parts. And these folks still don't get it. The delusion. Now, how is this possible? How is this possible? Well, think about it. Think about it. If you go back in the Old Testament, you see the Israelites, the plagues on Egypt, the incredible, amazing plagues on Egypt. with with the locusts and the flies and the lice and the darkness and hail falling from the sky and burning as fire on the ground. And we see all these other crazy miracles, the water turning to blood. And then finally Egypt lets them go, and they go out and they get to the Red Sea. Egypt changes its mind and chases them down. And the fire of God blocks the way, splits the sea in half so they can cross, and they make a golden calf. You see all because that there are miracles doesn't necessarily mean that a person isn't ever going to be deceived or deluded all because you've seen miracles you've heard the voice of god or you've had great experiences or whatever that's why as peter says but we have a more sure word of prophecy the scriptures we heard the voice from heaven which voice we heard But we have a more sure word of prophecy wherein you do well you take heed knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation the word of god will never will never let you go you can't depend upon experiences you can't depend upon miracles and miraculous signs and wonders you can only depend upon the holy word of god now, that was he see by the Israelites, how they could fall away so quickly after seeing the incredible miracles of God in, in, in their freeing from Egypt. How people could see for three years straight the miracles of Jesus and still go and arrest him. Here for three solid years, the teachings and sermons of Jesus and still go and betray him and arrest him jesus right in front of your face you're up you're you're in the process of arresting him and he he reattaches a severed ear showing peace he's not going to fight them he's not going to fight them so you see here jesus says i told you i am if therefore you seek me let these go That the saying might be fulfilled, which he spake, of them which thou gavest me have I lost none. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest servant, high priest servants, and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Now there's one more passage. Let's go over to Matthew. And we want Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 and we want to start at verse 51 Matthew 26 51 to 54 and behold one of them which were with Jesus Peter stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck a servant of the high priests and smote off his ear so just so you understand when you cross reference you get better detail a better idea full fuller picture of what's going on so it wasn't just that he cut the ear it wasn't just like a nick on the ear it says he cut off he smote off that means the blade came down skimmed the side of his head and sliced the ear right off of his head that's what that means some people don't like being graphic well the Bible is graphic so you better get used to it he smote off the ear and then it says Jesus healed the ear. Okay, how do you heal an ear that's been severed off of your head? By reattaching it. How did Jesus reattach it? Absolute, full, supernatural miracle. He took the severed ear and put it back on. He's the potter, we're the clay. Literally. Literally. Then said Jesus unto them, Put up again thy sword into its place, for all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. He who lives by the sword shall die by the sword. Jesus does not teach or advocate violence. I'm sorry, but there is no way by the gospel of Jesus Christ, by the power of our lord jesus christ you could ever justify validate advocate violence anyone who tries to use the word of god to justify or advocate for violence is wrong they don't even know jesus christ then they don't even know what he's like they're being an impulsive peter and striking out when jesus says put up your sword put it away and then condemns it by saying he who lives by the sword will die by the sword now i knew that that question would come up that okay that that falls under personal conscience personal conviction as it's not you're not like violently warring against a person to, to deliberately harm them, kill them, you know, like battle, like war uh, in that way. Is it sport? You're sporting. But again, some people are against it. Some people are for it. So what I would recommend in that way is you take that, you study out the scriptures, you fast and pray on that, and you ask the Lord. You ask him to show you. Some people, they're fine with that and that uh, they don't see anything wrong with this now this is not condemning law enforcement this is not condemning law enforcement because the word of god even in romans talks about that the law uh, those in authority the law enforcement the police and you know the military that for protection that's a whole different thing this is talking about like when the in the commandments thou shalt not kill where jesus teaches to love to love your neighbor to love your enemy this is talking about in an unjust sense in that way of just being just maliciously violent against other people or advocating for violence like protests violent protests kind of idea don't do that thinkest thou that i cannot now pray to my father and he shall presently give me more than 12 legions of angels but how then shall the scriptures be fulfilled that thus it must be how could the scriptures be fulfilled if I have to if I have to summon an army look what Jesus says here in verse 53 of Matthew 26 verse 53 Jesus says if I wanted to I I could immediately call for 12 legions of angels and they would fight for me I don't need you to fight Jesus says I don't need you to do anything you're not here to fight you're here to spread the word not the sword those who do the fighting are the angels not the Saints Let me just say that one more time. We spread the word. We don't do the fighting. The angels do the fighting. The angels do the fighting, not the saints. Keep that in mind. Please keep that in mind. Let's go back to the Gospel of John. So, Jesus knowing all things he knows how things are going to turn out this is why we don't need to panic and as uh, the famous uh the famous preacher dr martin lloyd jones says faith is refusing to panic faith is refusing to panic we see for example where i always get them mixed up elijah or elisha i can i always get them mixed up i think it was Elijah, and I'm probably going to be wrong, where Elijah is standing at this at the, the city gate with his servant, and they see the army coming to destroy the city. And the servant freaks out and says, Master, look how many there are. What do we do? And the prophet says, worry not. There's more with us than there is with them. Lord open my servant's eyes that he may see and the servant immediately looked up and saw round about the prophet a mountain full of fiery chariots The Word of God teaches that we're surrounded by the hosts of heaven We're held in the hand of the Father and dwelt by the Spirit of God Jesus Christ stands by our side and we're surrounded by a mountain of angels We have guardian angels round about us. Psalm 91. He gives his angels charge over us now Because of this, we don't need to worry about what comes down the line. We don't fight. We trust. We pray. We have faith. Jesus says, put up your sword. Worry not. Fear not. Doubt not. Stress not. Be anxious for nothing. So what we see here as well, Jesus says unto Peter in verse 11, John chapter 18, verse 11. John chapter 18, verse 11. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? This is supposed to happen, Jesus says. This is supposed to happen. Don't try to oppose what I'm trying to do, Jesus says. Put your sword back into the sheath to beat your swords into plowshares. Verse 12. Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. It's it's really bewildering how people can just not see it. It's in the same level and equivalency of reading through the Bible and saying and saying, Yes, yeah, Jesus is Michael the archangel. How can you read the Gospel of John and say Jesus was Michael the Archangel? Or Jesus was the equal spirit brother of Lucifer, like the Mormons say. Or Jesus was just some prophet or some lesser prophet, less than Muhammad. How can you read the Bible and come across any other thing like that? See, that the powers and the teaching and the doctrine and the miracles and, and the, the deity about him. It just screams deity. This is God, the word which made all things, became flesh and dwelt amongst us. First Timothy 316, God was manifested in the flesh. And God says, put up your sword into the sheath," and allows himself to be arrested. Look at the patience of God some some of us can bind god by our own opinions and ideologies our own reasoning our own beliefs our own arrogance and obstinance our own our own opinions and feelings and experiences we bind up god we wrap them up in chains to drag him along in our own preconceptions we bind up the word of god by, by our own insights and feelings our own interpretations we should let god loose let him do what he wants to do and don't get in the way but these ones they bind jesus they wrap Him up and lead him away to annas first where he was father-in-law to caiaphas which was the high priest that same year now caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people and simon peter followed jesus and so did another disciple that disciple was known unto the high priest i always get a kick how john writes john the beloved disciple the john john the author of the gospel of john first and second third john and revelation so john did a lot of writing and john the beloved disciple We could see through his writing, he was an emotional type. He's very passionate, and he was very humble. You'll notice all across all of John's writings, he rarely, rarely ever actually addresses himself in person he always calls himself that other disciple that other disciple that disciple that beloved disciple he doesn't actually call up by name very 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 rarely does he ever actually address himself in person so we see that Jesus is arrested dragged off to uh, Caiaphas and uh, Annas and Caiaphas and Simon Peter follows all the other disciples ran away they scattered they scattered but Peter, he, he escaped, but then followed from a distance. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, that disciple John. So Peter and John, Peter and John are always hanging out with each other. Peter and John went to pray at the temple, and they met a lame man on the way. You know the song. And then we see Peter and John uh, speak to the crippled man, the lame man. The lame man rises up and walks, and he goes walking and leaping and praising God. So Peter and John ran to the the tomb. Peter and John went to to follow Jesus when he was arrested. Peter and John uh, uh, are two of the greatest leaders of the New Testament church. And that other disciple was known unto the high priest. Now, here's something interesting a lot of people aren't aware of. When you read slowly, look what it says there in verse 15. The high priest knew John. Who was John? How did the high priest know John intimately? That it was known of the high priest. And John had authority to go in and out of the high priest's property. They would open the gate to him. Look what it says here. But John was known, the, the other disciple was known unto the high priest and went in with Jesus into the palace of the high priest and no one said anything unto him. They knew who he was. They knew he followed Jesus. They knew he was Jesus' disciple and no one said anything unto him. No one arrested him. No one challenged him. Nothing. Who was John? But Peter stood at the door without Then went out that other disciple, which was known unto the high priest and spake unto her that kept the door and brought in Peter. John had authority to allow people in and out of the high priest's property. He just went to the gate and spoke as one with authority and allowed and had them open the gate for Peter. You see that? Who's John? What's his background? What's his history? it's all irrelevant so you notice something about John as well he never boasts about his position he never talks about his his success he never talks about his past he never mentions any degrees or success or or his uh, education he doesn't talk about his work he doesn't talk about his office we know nothing about John other Than his relation to jesus you see a lot of christians boasting their office their position their education their degrees and their success and their past and their history all that kind of stuff it's all irrelevant the only thing that's relevant is your relationship to jesus christ look at john he hardly ever addresses himself in person He never really talks about his past or his history. We know nothing really about him. Other than apparently the high priest knew him really well. And he had authority to let people in and out of the high priest's property. Okay. So verse 16. Peter is outside because he doesn't have authority to enter the high priest's property. So John goes and lets him in. Interesting. Now... Here's also an interesting difference between two completely different Christians. The one Christian is bold as a lion and goes marching right on in and couldn't care less than other people would think. But impetuous Peter, who drew a sword, who at times can be all so bold and, and you know, ready, to, ready to fight for the Lord, and then completely crumbles under pressure. That when he's not allowed to fight, he completely crumbles. Because Peter had no faith. John was all faith and didn't fear. Peter only had faith when he had power in his own hand. You notice that? peter had had, he trusted and he was all bold when he was strong in his own might but we are called to not be strong in our own might but in the power of god john was strong in the might of the lord he didn't draw any sword but the word of god he trusted in christ alone peter trusted in himself so john has faith and power and is unafraid and marches right on into the high priest property right along with jesus And we see nothing happens but peter because he has no faith he only has faith in himself he only has you know he only has faith when things are going his way when he has power when things are in the control of his own hand and what happens what happens verse 17 then the damsel that kept the door said to said to peter art not thou also one of this man's disciples and he saith i am not the timid and the fearful and the unbelieving have more of the fear of man than they do the fear of god but when you have the full fear of god you're not going to have the fear of man and you're not going to care what people are going to say you're you're going to be bold about your faith you're going to talk about jesus christ you're going to witness and handle tracks and promote the kingdom of god And who cares what people think of you? And Peter says, I am not. Peter betrays the Lord. Betrays the faith. He says, I am not. Lies. An absolute bold face lie. And the servants and officers stood there who had made a fire of coals for it was cold and they warmed themselves and Peter stood with them and warmed himself and we see Peter disguising himself as the other unbelievers he blends in with the world he doesn't stand apart John is over where Jesus is John is standing with Jesus showing that he is with Jesus unafraid of the unbelievers Peter afraid of the unbelievers standing apart from jesus blending in with the world are you a peter or are you a john what are you when it comes to the world when the pressure comes down are you a peter or are you a john And Peter stood with them and warmed himself verse 19 the high priest then asked Jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine do you remember back when I um when I was talking about how we judge and how we judge other people whether that whether or not they would uh, they are Christian or not, how to tell if someone is Christian or not, is that you can't judge after the outward appearance, because what does a Christian look like? So you can't judge by the outward appearance, you can't judge by actions, you judge by doctrine. The doctrine coming out of the mouth is is what will show whether or not they are of God or the devil, or not they are of the kingdom of God or the world. The doctrine coming out of the mouth is that it's your doctrine that sets you apart how you profess christ do you believe that jesus is the christ the mighty god manifested in the flesh have you called upon him trusting in him asking him to save you from your sins trusting him by grace your faith by belief alone and of his doctrine his doctrine well now why why do they care about jesus doctrine because jesus doctrine is 100 unique 100 unique if you were to actually go and do a study and i actually be a, a pretty good study for you to do <clears throat> is take a look at every single other belief system of the world every single other religion of the world name one pick one random random co- uh, belief construct You'll notice that every single last one of them, other than true born-again Christianity, every last one of them is a works-based system of self-salvation. You save yourself, you enlighten yourself, you atone for yourself, you earn salvation yourself. It's in your hand, your strength, somehow, some way, you atone, you work, you earn, you maintain, you do it. Every last one of them. Judaism. Because the doctrine of Jesus Christ is by grace, through faith, by belief alone. And over 500 years ago, Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses on the door of Wittenberg Castle, I believe it was, and he challenged the Roman Catholic Church. Martin Luther used to be a roman catholic monk of the augustinian order i believe it was a catholic monk and one day in his studies in his studies of the bible he came across a passage the just shall live by faith that one verse the just shall live by faith was earth shattering shook him to his very core. He'd never seen it this way before. And it completely just shattered all of the Roman Catholic delusions and lies and heresies. And he saw that it's all by faith and not by works. And from that point forward, Martin Luther, who used to be, a roman catholic monk renounced roman catholicism denounced the indulgences and sacraments and the roman catholic religion and he trusted in the lord jesus christ by grace through faith by belief alone and he got saved and he left the catholic church opposed roman catholicism challenged the papacy challenged rome and he and he Brought about the great reformation of Protestantism, of the reformation of, of the Protestant movement, and challenged Catholicism to its lies and heresies and blasphemies and in its false religion. And Martin Luther taught salvation by grace through faith by belief alone and destroyed the Roman Catholic hold. Because Jesus teaches the truth. There's only one way. One truth. There's only one life. There's only one way of salvation, not multiple. Roman Catholicism is not Christian by any stretch of the imagination. It's as Christian as the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons are. It's as Christian as the Seventh day Adventists, the Buddhists, or the Hindus, or the Muslims are. They're not. All because people say they love Jesus doesn't mean they're Christian or because they may read the bible doesn't mean they're christian all because they go to church and they keep the ten commandments and they're really nice and warm and friendly and do all this charities and stuff doesn't mean they're christian you can only judge by the doctrine coming out of the mouth now they asked jesus of his doctrine if you go over to first peter three fifteen, but sanctify the lord god in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to them who will come and ask you. Why are they coming to ask you? What are they what are they coming to ask you? Because you're so different, you're so unique. You're saying things differently, behaving differently, manifesting things differently than anyone else. Your belief system. Your belief system is entirely unique. You're different than Buddhists and Hindus and Muslims and Catholics and Mormons and all the rest of you're so different. It's not about religion to you. We have no religiosity. It's all about Christ. It's about faith by grace through faith. It's about following Jesus, not man-made ordinances and controls. It's not about protocols and, and sacraments and traditions, it's not about the tapestry. It's not about robes and collars and stained glass and confessionals and, and idols and statues and rosaries and beads and crystals and whatever else you would have in a little the magic Oreo wafer cookie things that could forgive your sins somehow. It's not about water. It's about the blood. It's about the Lord God Almighty, Jesus Christ. It's about your relationship with Him. That when you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ by grace, through faith, through belief alone, a change comes about you. And as Jesus says in John chapter 4, out of you will flow springs of living water. The good works just come as a byproduct. The, the deeds and the works and the attributes and the things that you should do and the things you should not do is just naturally known. And it's not something you have to do. It's something I want to. It's not a have to. It's a want to. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. As cliche as that sounds, that's what it is. We are not held. By the power of any but the power of jesus christ and it's not about buildings it's not about about traditions it's not about laws it's not about protocols it's about jesus the christ this doctrine is so unique and because of this it's one of a kind because it is the only way the only truth the only life and the devils absolutely hate it the world hates it the devils hate it the flesh hates it darkness hates it and they oppose it because they want us to become like them the devils don't care if you become a christian just don't apply it to your life just don't live it just don't let it empower you they don't care if you read the bible just don't take it seriously you don't care if you pray just don't take it seriously they don't care if you go to church just don't apply it to your life don't be a threat to the world don't stand apart don't be separate don't be holy as he is holy do do whatever you want to do just don't be like christ condone and tolerate and advocate and justify all other religions and belief systems just as long as you're just nice and loving and friendly that's all that matters no it's not it's about sin it's about sin that christ came to atone for They asked him of his disciples and of his doctrine. Now you know they asked him of his disciples. The devils are talking about you. The world is talking about you. So many people believe the crazy delusion that people don't really care what you think or do. You really think that's true? Go do something wrong, and watch how everyone talks about it. All eyes are on you, whether you believe it or not. And the eyes of flesh or spirit are watching you, paying attention to you, talking about you, and they notice. Every time you do something right, every time you do something wrong, they notice. They're asking about your relationship with Christ and they're wanting to know about your doctrine are you a disciple of Jesus Christ I like the uh, the quote I saw a while ago it said if born-again Christianity was illegal against the law banned and you were arrested for being a Christian is there enough evidence to convict you is there enough evidence in your life to convict you of being a christian think about that so they asked jesus of his disciples and of his doctrine verse 20. jesus answered them i spake openly to the world i ever taught in the synagogue and in the temple whether the jews always resort and in secret have I said nothing why askest thou me ask them which heard me what I have said unto them behold they know what I said so they're asking Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine and Jesus says why are you talking to me talk to them now why did he say that why did Jesus say why are you talking to me go ask them because if you go back through the through the gospel of John how many times How many times did they already ask Jesus these questions? How many times has Jesus already answered this question specifically? He's already told them who he is multiple times. He's already told them about his doctrine multiple times. He's already justified himself multiple times. And here they are asking again. You see, people ask for proof. Proof of God, proof of Jesus, proof of the faith proof of the power show us God well why are you asking God go look at his disciples you want to see proof of the supernatural go look at how Jesus Christ can change sinners how drunkards become saints murderers can become saints adulterers and abominations uh, uh, caught cotton sin of all kind can become saints witches become saints. Satanists become saints. Muslims and Hindus and Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Catholics become born-again saints. Completely changed. Regular world philosophy doesn't do that. Regular world psychology doesn't do that. Buddhism doesn't change the the horrible, wretched sinners into saints. Islam certainly doesn't do it. Seventh-day Adventism doesn't do it. Only the true born-again Christianity of the Lord God, Jesus Christ, by grace, through faith, through belief alone, is the only power that there is that can change sinners into saints. Saul on the road to Damascus, breathing out threatenings and slaughter, becomes the Apostle Paul. Only Jesus of Scripture can do that. You want to see evidence of God, look at the church. You want to see power of Jesus Christ, look at the saints. You want to see supernatural miracles, look at when someone gets born again, saved what it does to a person. That's a supernatural miracle. The very fact that a person gets born again, saved. It amazes me, it amazes me. Every time. It just astounds me at the sheer grace and mercy and love of God Every time I hear someone getting saved. That is an absolute full-blown supernatural miracle. So many people say, miracles don't happen to today. Really? People don't get saved? Look to the saints. But therein is an issue. When the world looks at you, do they see the power of God? When the world does come to you for evidence of the faith, do they see the power of Jesus Christ? Do they see the gospel? Do they see, hear, feel, know, sense Christ-likeness? You may be the only Bible some people will ever read. They'll never in their life pick up a Bible. They go to the hotels, the motels, whatever, and they see the Gideon Bible in the drawer. They may never touch it. They will never pick up a gospel tract. They'll never darken the door of a church. They'll never go to a Bible study. They'll never listen to an evangelist. They'll never, ever, but the coworker, the classmate, the neighbor, the person on the sidewalk, the person at the grocery store, may be the only bible that they may ever read how are you representing the lord jesus christ if no, jesus says go ask the saints go ask those who believe in me go ask those who heard me go ask those who follow me is he talking about you are you in that list of people that the world could go to for proof the world hates that The world absolutely hates it that we stand apart and we're so separate and different. The world strikes out and strikes the saints, strikes God, spits in the face of God, tries to ban the Bible, ban church, ban the gathering of the saints, ban communion, ban the singing of hymns out loud. They try to do all kinds of things to fight against the church. And when the Lord speaks up, the world gets mad verse 22 and when jesus had thus spoken one of the officers which stood by struck jesus with the palm of his hand slapped jesus across the face struck jesus with the palm of his hand saying "Answerest thou the high priest so what kind of answer is that you dare say that and slaps jesus across the face quick refresher. Who is Jesus? First John 520, Jesus Christ is the true God and eternal life. First Timothy 410, we trust in the living God who is the savior of all men. First Timothy 316, God was manifest in the flesh. Colossians 2 9, in him dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Acts twenty twenty eight God purchased the church with his own blood. John chapter 1 verses 1 and 14, the word which is God became flesh and dwelt among us. Isaiah 9 6, Isaiah 7 14, Micah 5 2, John 4 25 26, John chapter 10 verses 28 29, John, uh, John 10 17 and 18, we see August and again and again and again all throughout the scriptures Jesus claimed the names of God he accepted worship he forgave sins he cast out the devils he healed the sick raised the dead Jesus is the mighty God the everlasting father the Prince of Peace the wonderful the counselor the only true God and eternal life manifested in the flesh this is God the creator of the world by him all things consist standing right in front of them and they slap him across the face this is god almighty manifested in the flesh being slapped across the face you know we're not told if that individual later on down the road repented and got saved as we see later on during the early church period, it, it says, "And many of the Pharisees also believed on him." We see many of the Jews believe him. We see the the, the great Pentecost uh, revival, with thousands of people get saved, and thousands, thousands more got saved. I really, really hope this guy did see the truth, repent, and believe the gospel like the roman centurion did who was standing by the cross of jesus when jesus died and he speared his side and he says truly this was the son of god he got saved that roman right there got saved because i don't know about you but i i i sure do hope there are pillars in the temple of god on judgment day that i can hide behind when it comes to this guy's turn to stand before god I want to be hiding behind the pillars when the Pharisees who spat on him and then cursed him and blasphemed him and put him to death and the the soldiers that beat him and whipped him and punched him and ripped out his beard and and flogged him within an inch of his life and dislocated his joints and rammed his head with a crown of thorns and then nailed him to the cross and spit on him and slapped him when it comes their turn to stand before God I want to hide Could you imagine smacking the face of God? Well, believe it or not, You're slapping the very face of God you're slapping the Word of God you're spitting on the Word of God every time you reject the Lord reject his righteousness and do your own thing and and to go your own way your own pleasures and your own sin judging by your own opinion going by your own feelings you are rejecting the Lord is it possible that Christians could do that can a child dishonor and disrespect their parent can a child their parent can a child spit at their parent can a child get mad at their parent could a christian get mad at god could god have spoiled rotten brat children you see it's not just the unsaved that treat god so the saved can now jesus god Almighty manifested in the flesh doesn't immediately Strike this man with a bolt of lightning You see God Isn't like the pagan false gods God isn't a God of All wrath and indignation up there with a big club waiting for you to do something wrong and then just smacks you over the head Every time you make a mistake. No, he's not Allah. So we see that Jesus is the God of Scripture is merciful merciful he takes our abuse how many times society uses his name as blasphemies curses his name as a regular daily occurrence like it's nothing curses Christ mocks Christ shames Christ constantly and he takes it why because god is not willing that any should perish he does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked he wants this man who slapped them to repent he wants us to repent he calls us to repentance by grace by mercy by love by peace the goodness of god leadeth thee to repentance And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand, saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why why smitest thou me? Jesus asked, What have I done to deserve this disrespect? What has Jesus ever done? To deserve his name to be used as cuss words what has he ever done to deserve the hate that the world bears out of about him and against him why does the world hate jesus so much when he's done nothing ever wrong he's the most perfect person that's ever been on this world if i have spoken evil bear witness of the evil and some people try oh they try They try to use the judgment of God upon sin as evidence of how God is evil. Um, That's like saying the judge in a court of law is an evil, wicked man because he bears out sentences against the criminals. Um, That's like saying the parent is a mean, malicious, horrible, evil, wicked person because they discipline their children. god brings judgment upon sin and abomination his wrath is upon the workers of iniquity god himself is not evil he is not the originator of evil he does not create evil in him is no darkness no shadow of turning. he cannot lie is not the author of confusion he gives us not the spirit of fear but the power, the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind he brings us to calmness of mind and the and the man who had the demons cast out was found sitting clothed and in his right mind at the feet of jesus you can't Find a single thing to judge God for. Now Annas had sent him bound unto Caiaphas the high priest. And Simon Peter stood and warmed himself. They said therefore unto him, Art not thou also one of his disciples? He denied it and said, I am not. You're given many chances to atone, many chances to make to make things right. One of the servants of the high priest, being his kinsman, Whose ear Peter cut off, saith, Did not I see thee in the garden with him? Peter then denied again, and immediately the cock crew. Now the the audacity, the just delusion and deception that could come upon so many Christians, that that how they would lie and misuse and abuse and misrepresent Christ. Peter pulled out his sword in front of all the people everyone saw him all eyes were on Peter he pulled out his sword they all saw him he approached the servant of the high priest they all saw him he struck the servant cut off his ear they all saw him and this guy the kinsman a relative of malchus the servant whose ear peter cut off, the relative of malchus saw peter do that in the garden and this is just a few hours later and the same guy says i saw you in the garden weren't you in the garden weren't you the guy that chopped off the ear and peter says no no it wasn't me how many christians will deny The most plain clear thing because of fear they'll deny the righteousness of god they'll deny the doctrines of god they'll deny the theology of god they'll deny the commandments of god all for the fear of man you see it's very easy to blame peter it's very easy to blame jonah it's very easy to blame all these individuals throughout the scriptures and point the fingers and say how they were wrong and we don't realize that we've done the exact same thing we're guilty of the same thing we may not have pulled out swords and gone hacking on people but we can beat people up with the sword hack people to pieces with the sword instead of seeking to heal them and exhort them and to show them the grace and the mercy and the love of god to bring them un- unto the throne of grace by the love of christ that will beat them with the sword like it's a club hack them to pieces mercilessly hating upon other christians hating upon the non-christians hating upon people because of differences of opinion or belief or whatever and not show them christ likeness that we can be peters and then turn right around and deny it when a chance is given to uh, to a test for christ so many of us can be peters peter denied again immediately the cock crew now the thing about that is as jesus even foretold and said to peter you're gonna deny me three times peter didn't believe him. god tells us a truth and we don't believe him sometimes God even tells us, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to fall flat on your face. And if any man sin, we have an a- that we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Christians will make mistakes. We will do stupid things. And even by the writing of the Apostle Paul, we're, the sin is in our flesh. And because of that, we cannot do the things that we would. We're going to betray ourselves. We're going to make fools of ourselves. We're going to fall flat on our face in the mud, but a righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Don't focus on the fall. Focus on the getting back up. Because what did Peter do? He, As soon as the cock crew, he immediately ran out and wept bitterly and repented and brought himself back to the Lord. The Lord forgave him. God doesn't hate you for the mistakes you make. God doesn't hate you. He doesn't abandon you. He doesn't forsake you. He will never let you go. God loves you, flaws and all. And if you make a mistake, just come back to the Lord and get it right. Make it right. Tell him you're sorry. And they led Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment. I think we're gonna end it on this one because there's a lot more to go and it gets into a whole nother topic but i think we're gonna wrap it up here verse 28 john 18 verse 20 then led they jesus and caiaphas unto the hall of judgment now why when jesus in the garden says it this is how it's supposed to be he says to peter he says this is how it's supposed to be why the hall of judgment they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the hall of judgment. They let, led him from prison and from judgment. What does that sound like? We're going to wrap it up reading Isaiah 53. The prophet Isaiah wrote about the Christ Messiah 750 years before Jesus. Isaiah the prophet lived 750 years before Jesus. And Isaiah the prophet, who has been proven to have lived, they have actually found archaeological uh, discoveries in, in Jerusalem, where they actually found in the northeast, I believe it is, northeast quarter of Jerusalem in a dig, they actually found. A, I don't know if you saw the news back a while ago, a clay seal. I'm, I'm not sure how big it is. They found a clay seal. The top bit of it was broken broken up, but it was, you could easily read what was left on the seal. And it says, this is the seal of, of the prophet Isaiah. And they dated it. And it dated back 2,750 years ago. 2,000 was Jesus 750 Isaiah and it dated right back to this to the exact date of the prophet Isaiah they actually found real-world evidence now let's read the writing of the prophet Isaiah this writing right here is over 2750 years old let's read this Isaiah 53 Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. Okay, pause. The... the, white boy, Amber Crombie and Finch model looking long haired hippie style Jesus that you see so often is not Jesus of scripture. Jesus was a Jew of Israel, born in Bethlehem of Israel. He was not a black man. He was not a white man. He was all of skin complexion, like all the Jews were in Israel. And Jesus did not have long hair because it's a shame for a man to have long hair. Jesus was not a Nazarite He was from nazareth but he was not a nazarite the nazarites are are the special uh, ones who take a nazarite vow who don't cut their hair they don't touch dead bodies they don't drink strong drink they don't eat the fruit of the vine and jesus touched the dead jesus drank the fruit of the vine jesus ate the fruit of the vine so obviously he wasn't a nazarite so he didn't have long hair anyways and it says he has no beauty about him which which With which we would desire meaning he was so plain complexion so just plain looking he was not handsome to look at that's what that means he was not handsome to look at he was just so average plain looking no beauty to desire meaning he wasn't handsome that's what that means there's no beauty that we should desire him Verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. Peter, denying the Lord, hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet we did we did esteem him stricken smitten of god and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions they slapped him beat him he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way and the lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all he comes for our sins he was a he was oppressed and he was afflicted yet he opened not his mouth he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb so he openeth not his mouth he was taken from prison and from judgment he was arrested now they actually uncovered in Jerusalem they uncovered Annas the high priest and Caiaphas the high priest they un, they actually uncovered the ruins of Annas and Caiaphas's place and in the basement of their building was a prison so when they arrested jesus in the garden of gethsemane they they wrapped him up and they arrested him and they brought him over to and they held him in the prison until annas and caiaphas could see him and then they brought him up and then they took him from prison to pilate's judgment he was taken from prison and from judgment and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the land of the living he's done all this is done to put him to death For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, crucified between two thieves. And with the rich in his death, Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, who was a very rich Pharisee, gave up his own tomb for Jesus. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. What does that mean? To prolong his days. Resurrected. The resurrection of Jesus Christ was prophesied 750 years before Jesus. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death. And he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's read Psalm 22. Now, when Jesus was on the cross, remember when Jesus was on the cross and he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Did you know Jesus was quoting Psalm 22? Because why? What does Psalm 22 say? Let's read Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? O my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in thee, they trusted, and thou didst deliver them. They cried unto thee and were delivered. They trusted in thee and were not confounded. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people. All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. What did the Pharisees say to Jesus when he was on the cross? He trusted in the Lord that he would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delighted in him. If thou be the Christ, come down the cross. Let the Lord deliver him they'd said the same thing but thou art he that took me out of the womb thou didst make me hope when I was upon my mother's breasts I was cast upon thee from the womb Thou art my God from my mother's belly be not far from me for help is near for there's none to help many bulls of uh, many bulls have compassed me strong bulls of Bashan have beset me round they gaped upon me with their mouths as a ravening and roaring lion the uh, the the soldiers that beat Jesus they gaped upon him as ravening and roaring lions. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. They dislocated the joints of Jesus. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue cleaveth to my, my jaws. He, opens, he doesn't open his mouth like a lamb before his shears. And thou hast brought me into the dusts of death For dogs have compassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed upon me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I may tell all my bones they look and stare upon me you could literally see the ribcage of Jesus from the whipping and the scourging that they did on him they tore him to shreds so badly you could actually see the very bones of Jesus they tore the flesh right off his bones with those whips I may tell all my bones, they look and stare upon me. They part my garment among them and cast lots upon my vesture. Remember the Romans' uh, soldiers that uh, rolled dice for the vesture of Jesus at the foot of the cross? But be not thou far from me, O Lord, o, o my strength. Haste thee to help me. Deliver my soul from the sword, my darling, from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, for thou hast heard me from the horns of the unicorns. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Psalm 22, it's, it's all prophetic. It's all prophetic. What did Jesus say in the volume of the book it is written of me? Now we'll come back and we'll finish John 18 at another time. But look at what it's saying here. Jesus says, this is how it's supposed to be. Fear not, doubt not, waver not, be anxious for nothing, stress not, fret not. Now we go through this life. Don't take up swords. Don't try to push and fight by your own strength. By his strike, by his strength, we are healed, we are saved, we are delivered, we are helped and protected. God takes vengeance upon them. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We trust in the power of his might. To be unashamed, unafraid, like John. People may be hating upon Jesus. Did John flinch? John marched right in and walked in Christ. He walked in the spirit because he didn't, he didn't fear the flesh. Peter was afraid. Are we Peter's or are we Paul's? It's like the old saying, you may have heard it, petering out. Petering out. That's actually a phrase that comes from this passage right here. That when the pressure comes down, you peter out. Are you going to be are you going to peter out when the pressure comes down? Are you going to walk like John? so let's examine ourselves let's challenge ourselves looking to the word of God because as an answer for absolutely everything it shows us how to walk how to live it shows us how to have faith how to trust the Lord and not worry as the Lord can send legions of angels to our rescue we don't need to fight we don't need to fight about anything we don't strive in anything but to strive for the mastery of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. To strive for Christ likeness. So let's look to the example of faith. Let's look to the example of John. Let's trust in Jesus Christ, that he knows what's best. He knows how to help us, and he will not allow us to be tempted above that which we are able because he, he intercedes for us. As we saw when Judas and them came against him, he defended his own. The shepherd stands up to defend the sheep don't worry when wolves come along remain in the shepherd stay with the shepherd for therein is security and peace where even john walked with jesus even when jesus was, was arrested they may come down to arrest your rights and ban the bible and hate upon the church and close down the churches but if that happens walk like john Unafraid, unashamed,
1: doubting nothing,
0: fearing nothing, but to walk proudly in Christ, to walk in the spirit, ignore the flesh, ignore fear. What does the Lord say? So there you go. So I hope this has been an encouragement and a blessing to you. I hope you learned much from that. So please make sure you rewatch this. And if you appreciate these studies, please give this a like, give this a thumbs up. Make sure you subscribe, hit notification bell icons. So you know, when we put up new videos and again, folks, God bless you and happy reformation day as again this is the day where over 500 years ago martin luther that nailed the 95 theses on the door and opposed the catholic church and brought about the great reformation and again folks again it's not about death it's about life it's about light it's not about darkness oppose the darkness stand for the lord remain in christ walk in christ likeness be a john don't deny the lord and don't conform to the image of the world and don't try to disguise yourself as the world like peter did but walk like john walk boldly in christ walk boldly in the faith walk boldly in the word of god remain in the lord and the power of his might so there you go so god bless you hope to see you again and as always as always folks god bless you If I don't see you again, I'll see you in the sky. God bless.